0: So we're continuing on in our series, Good News, and I don't know if you knew this, but every 14 seconds, someone's identity is stolen. So if you wait 14 seconds, another person's identity is stolen. It's crazy. And in the year uh, 2020, identity theft costs $56 billion. And so identity theft is a big problem, and people are scamming all the times through like phishing emails, and we have credit card fraud, and we have... People stealing social security numbers. And so in this room, there might even be people who've had your identity stolen. It's a terrible thing. I have not. I've had friends who've had to go through that. It's a horrible thing. And identity is something that we we hear about a lot. It gets talked about a lot. Um, We hear about gender identity, right? Like people are talking about that a lot. It impacts our workplaces, our schools, our circles of family and friends. And so identity is kind of a big deal, and we've probably all had that uh, Facebook request where someone says, you know, it's like Uncle Bob is asking to be your friend again, and you're like, well, I thought we already were friends, and then you, you, you accept the request, and then like two seconds later, you get a personal message that says, hi, nice to meet you, how are you been doing? And it's like, I think Uncle Bob knows how to put a sentence together, so I don't know what that means, I don't know who's doing this, but we've probably all had those Those types of experiences, right? So identity is something that is constantly being talked about in our world. It's an issue. And it's something that affects us in this room. So maybe you don't struggle with gender identity or maybe you haven't had your identity stolen. But I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that every person in this room deals with identity in some form or fashion. Like it has an impact on your life. And the reason that we all struggle with our identity is because we often base it on the wrong things. We begin to form our identity on things like, what's my last name? What town was I born in? How many siblings did I have? Who are my parents? What do I do for a living? Do I have kids? Am I married? All that stuff. And while those are all aspects of who we are, it's part of our story, it doesn't make us who we are. Our identity is deeper than that. Those are all kind of like secondary things. And so if we really want to understand who we are, what's the core of our identity, we have to look to the one who actually made us, which is God, God created us, and so we have to look to him for our identity. But so many people in our world today, they don't really care what God has to say or they don't want to be told who they are, they want to decide that for themselves. They say, well, this is who I am, this is what I believe about myself, this is what somebody told me, or this is what I feel, and therefore that's what I am. Others just kind of bump along through life. They say, all this identity talk or whatever, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, But here's the thing. Identity affects all of us because even if we don't want to talk about it or think about it, subconsciously it will steer your behavior because what we believe about ourselves impacts how we live. And every time something goes sideways in our lives, if it's a sinful thing or a bad situation, a lot of times it can be traced back to what we're believing or not believing about ourselves. And so believing the truth of the gospel and our new identity leads us to different behavior. We talked about that the last two weeks in our Game Changer stuff where we were focusing on who God is and who we are. We do what we do because of who we are. You do who you are. I don't have a slide for it. There was a snappy slide. Being precedes doing, right? So our being precedes what we do. And so if we believe something that is true or untrue, it's going to affect how we behave. So you remember we've talked about um, these areas of unbelief in our hearts and how that affects our behavior. And oftentimes we're believing wrongly about God, and so that's impacting the way that we're living our lives. But my true identity comes from what God says about me, not what I think about myself or what anybody else says. My true identity comes from what God has to say about me. My true identity is given, not earned. Think about that for a second. My true identity is given, not earned. And we, we use this phrase around Missio, do to be. Maybe you've heard us say that occasionally. What in the world does do to be mean? Well, do to be means that I do something therefore I be something. And I know that's not grammatically correct, so forgive me English majors, but um, I do something, so what I do equals what I am, right? That's due to be. And due to be is not a helpful thing. Uh, It's a performance-based identity. It's saying that if I do lots of good things, if I try really hard, then God will love me. That's due to be. And so when we talk about all this identity, um, why does it Why does it matter if we find our sense of what God says or the world says? Again, because if we find our identity in the wrong places, it leads to sinful behavior. And we learned last week from Romans 14.23 that anything that is not from faith is sin. And so I'm willing to say that if we want to grow as disciples of Jesus, if we want to move continually from unbelief to belief in more and more areas of our lives, then we can't do that without addressing identity. And when we understand our identity in light of God's word, the gospel at the core of everything, then it changes who we are. See, after Jesus rose from the grave, he spent some time with his disciples. Like, you know, he died, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, and he appeared to his disciples. And he spent some time with them, and he gave them what we call the Great Commission. And I talk about this a lot. Uh, It's kind of a big deal. You guys remember the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, What? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I just want to stop right there. Why did he say Father, Son, Holy Spirit? There's three names of God. There's three persons of God. There's one name, three people, right? And so it's important that he said those three persons of the Trinity. He could have just said, go be baptized in the name of Jesus, or go be baptized in the name of the Father, but he didn't. And so when we're baptized as believers, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we are baptized, we are immersed in our new identity. We become new. The Bible says we're born again when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And so we're going to unpack a little bit what this means, how our identity is found in each of those members of the Trinity. And so the first one is the Father. This is our family identity. So through the gospel, God made us his family. And because of this reality, we get to live in a close relationship with God as our father. But then we also inherit a whole bunch of brothers and sisters in the family. And we get to live in community. And so if you have a Bible, um, open up to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read from 14 through 17. So Romans 8. in order that we also may be glorified in him. And so the Apostle Paul here is using the language of a father and children. He's saying, you're no longer slaves. You don't have to be afraid. A slave fears their master. But that's not the kind of relationship that we now have with the father. The father says, no, you're going to be my kids. And that, that phrase, Abba, Father, it, it was actually like a Hebrew phrase for what a, a child would say to their daddy, like daddy, That's the kind of relationship we get to have with the God of the universe, the God who made everything, spoke it into existence, is all-knowing, all-powerful. We get to have an intimate, close relationship with him where we say, you're my father, you're my dad. And that's pretty awesome. And so we have fathers, right? Many of us have had an earthly father and maybe that Has tainted a little bit of our view of of what this relationship looks like because for many of us, we we came from a broken home or we had a dad who was absent or just didn't do a good job of raising us as kids. And so it's easy to project that kind of um, failure or shortcomings onto God. And God says, No, I'm your perfect father. A perfect father always does what's best for his kids, a perfect father loves unconditionally. A perfect father provides for all of our needs. A perfect father disciplines and helps us grow in our character. And that's who God is. And so not only do we become sons and daughters as a part of his family, but we become, we have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. So look around this room. Like, these are your brothers and sisters. And I don't know if that's encouraging to you or not. Some of you are like, I want new brothers and sisters, right? Right? And I'm sure we all did that as kids, like, ah, I hate my brothers. I want to trade them in for some new ones. But that's the relationship that we have. It's with the father, but then it's also, it's a horizontal relationship. And his family's big. It's global. Like, we have brothers and sisters all around the world. And that's pretty awesome. It's like the big C church, right? But then we have, like, local congregations of people, believers, like what we have here in this room. And so we are a family, We're smaller families attached to a bigger family. And when I think about our identity as family, and what that should look like as a church, as a spiritual family, I I think one of the best ways to, to think about it is to say, well, what does a healthy earthly family look like? Because I think a healthy church should reflect that. Healthy families do all of life together. They spend time together. They don't just hang out for one hour a week or a couple hours a week, like they, they do life. They do the messy stuff. They do the hard stuff. They help each other out. They, you know, fix each other's houses and cars and, you know, help each other move and bring meals when they're sick and all that kind of stuff. But when we live into our family identity with other people, discipleship happens. And it's hard and it's messy, but it's so worth it. And we see people, and even, you know, living as family, we can bring in people who don't yet know Jesus to that group. And maybe they are discipled to faith, and those that are believers are discipled to maturity in the midst. If you read through the Gospels and Jesus' life and ministry, you see a pattern where he just did life with his disciples. They lived as family, they did ministry together, like they did miracles, they cast out demons, they served people food. They just spent loads of time together. Jesus wasn't running a discipleship program. He didn't say, hey, come to discipleship class. He did life with them. They just walked around and did life and ministry together. And so I did a little bit of math on this. Um, If you assume that Jesus was spending 16 hours a day with them for three years of his life, and we'd subtract eight hours for for sleep, like I'm thinking they slept, Jesus would have spent 1,095 days or 17,520 hours with his disciples. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of hours. Like how many church services is that if we're, you know, boiling it down to that? So it's crazy to think that we can carry out the great commission of making disciples in just one or two hours a week. And yet so many churches in the Western world, that's what we think. So what are some things that we can do today to start living into this family identity? Again, I think it starts with knowing who our father is, knowing that we have a, a relationship with the father that is intimate and close, and then that flows into our relationship with others as we think about our brothers and sisters. The question that I want to ask is, is my life open to others? Are our lives open to others? Do we have room for other people to be in our lives? Or are we just kind of programmed and scheduled and everything fits in its nice little box and we just don't have time for people? Because you can't live as family if if your life isn't open to other people. It takes time. It's an investment. And I think a follow-up question to that is, is my home open to others? Will I welcome people into the place that I live Because I think so many people get caught up in having everything just so. And my house has got to be perfectly decorated and clean. And family doesn't care about that. You want to tidy up before people come over? Great. But guess what? My house, there's dust on the TV stand. And there's some foreign material in the couch cushions. Probably used to be cereal or something like that. We all have dirty houses. Like It doesn't have to be immaculate and perfect to be family. It's a different vibe when you have family come over than when you're hosting guests and you're trying to wow them with everything. Living as family, you're not trying to prove anything. So maybe you don't know what a healthy biological or spiritual family lives or looks like. Maybe you haven't experienced that. Maybe your biological family was, was rough. And maybe you've never really been a part of a church that lived like family. And so if, if that's you and you want to experience life in the family, then jump into one of our missional communities. Like That's where we do life together. And they're open. There's no closed group. There's no group that's going to say, "Now we're full or we can't take you. And so I'd love to have a conversation with you if you're interested in becoming a part of a missional community. That's the primary way that we're living life as family. So the second part of our identity is the servant identity. We're baptized in the name of the Father, family, right? We're baptized in the name of the Son, servant. And Jesus is the Son. He's also the King. And then we serve out of that identity to show other people what Jesus is like. Uh, one other passage of Scripture I want to read from Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Anybody has, is good at sword drills, get there quick. Otherwise, just pull out your... Your phone, I don't think we have slides, do we? Okay, I'll just read this. Have this mind among you, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God was highly exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And so Jesus was the servant King, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And yet He came down into this earth and he was born where? In a stable with animals and shepherds, like pretty humble beginning. So Jesus was born and then he lived like in a Jewish home. He was a carpenter's son and he worked hard and he had to learn the trade, right? Jesus was humble and then he did his ministry and what did he do? We read about him washing the feet of his disciples. He put on a towel, Washed their feet. Jesus met needs. He served others. And I don't know if there's a better example of of servant leadership than like dying for everybody else. And that's what Jesus did. He ultimately laid down his life on the cross, died for us so that we could have life. He's the ultimate example of servanthood. And Paul says this, he says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? He's saying, you have a new mind. When, when you become a follower of Jesus, you're given a new mind and you actually have that same kind of mindset that Jesus had of serving others. We, we inherit his servant identity. I love Mark ten forty five. It says, for even the son of man, talking about Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, even though he's king of kings, Lord of lords, commander of heaven's armies he leaves heaven comes down into this earth and what does he do he serves the least of these he's humble the ultimate picture of a servant and i love that passage it says that there'll be a day when jesus comes back and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is lord but he didn't have to prove it he knew who he was he knew who knows who he is and One day, everything will be put back the way that it should be. Jesus is the returning king, and yet he lived and died as a servant. And I think when we live from our true identity as servants, we don't have to prove anything. We can just be humble and trust God with the outcome, our Father, right? There are many people who have embraced uh, this identity of servant. And one of the people that really inspires me is a man named Henry Nowen. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Henry Nouwen, but he was one of the leading uh, voices in the Catholic Church for a long time. And he was an author, a speaker. He wrote like 39 books and traveled all over. He was a professor at Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame and like just a brilliant mind. And he had climbed the ladder of success within his circle and he was speaking at all these events and he was doing all this stuff for Jesus. And he was like just well-known as, as a, uh, a leader at, in his field, as a theologian. And one day, he decided that that was not the kind of life that Jesus wanted him to live. So he gave it all up, and he moved to France, and he moved into Arc, which is a community of disabled people living as equals. And so Henry Nouwen put all of his career aside, moves in, and lives among disabled people for the rest of his life, for the last 13 years of his life. And he died in 1996. And I want to share a quote from Henry because I think it's, it's pretty powerful. He says, We often live as if our happiness depended on having. But I don't know anyone who is really happy because of what he or she has. True joy, happiness, and inner peace come from the giving of ourselves to others. A happy life is a life for others. That truth, however, is usually discovered when we are confronted with our brokenness. See, Henry knew what it meant to give his life up for others, a life lived for others. And that's really what Jesus models us, models for us, and calls us to. It's our servant identity. It's that idea of when we give our life away, we actually find it, right? If we try to hang on to it, we lose it. And I wonder if we've embraced what it means to have a servant identity. And and Henry Nouwen is not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the one who inspired Henry Nouwen to go live his life in community. So maybe we're still struggling with that part of our identity to be shaped by Jesus. But what would it look like in your, your sphere of influence, in your life, if you lived with the servant identity and truly embrace that? What would your workplace look like if it wasn't just about punching a clock or getting a paycheck or even getting promoted, but what if it was more about serving the people around you, caring more about their well-being than your own? How would that change your workplace? You think that would change the dynamics a little bit? I do. And how would our neighborhoods look If we truly served our neighbors with nothing, no expectation of anything in return, helped them with a house project, helped them move in, brought them a meal, I mean, whatever, like, how would our neighborhoods be different if we were the hands and feet of Jesus to the people living around us? I think it would make a huge impact. And I believe there are a lot of people in the Bismarck Mandan area who need to experience the love of Jesus, they need the gospel. And they can experience that through you and me, through us serving them, meeting needs. The last part of our, mission, or our, our identity is the missionary identity. God is ascending God. The Holy Spirit is the one who goes, and he is the one who has the power to save people. And we get to partner with him on his mission. Our mission statement at Missio is, love Jesus, live sent, and that comes from the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, and then also the great commission, which we talked about, go and make disciples. And so we believe that it, it's a motivation of love. It's a motivation of taking the gospel with us, living sent, because of who it is that we love. And we didn't just come up with this idea of living sent. Like that comes from who God is right? He is ascending God. He always has been. If you think about the Old Testament and the people of Israel, they were God's chosen people, but what did they constantly do? They constantly wandered off, quit trusting God, got caught up in sin and worshiping idols and all kinds of stuff like that. But what did God do for them? He'd send them a prophet. He'd say, hey, here's this guy and he's got this message for you from me, so you better clean up your act and like repent and turn to me because he, he kept pursuing people. He wanted a relationship with them and that's why he sent the prophets. And then the ultimate sending was Jesus. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save humanity. So God has always been, been a sending God. And after Jesus rose from the dead, we were gonna talk about that earlier, and he appeared to his disciples, gave them the great commission. He says, go therefore. He prayed a prayer for them before he sent them out. And I I just want to share this with you this morning from John 17, 14 through 19. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And there's a key phrase in there. As you sent me into the world, so I I have sent them into the world. So in essence, what Jesus is saying is, Father, he's talking to his Father, praying, you sent me into this world to save humanity. Now my time has come. I'm about to go back up to heaven. And so I have these disciples and they're going to continue the mission. My ministry is their ministry. And so he's praying for the disciples and he's saying, I have been sent. And so you have been sent. He was passing that mission on to these disciples who had spent three years of life with him. They knew what to do. They had been with Jesus. They had seen it modeled. They had, all the, they had the playbook but what they didn't have was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells them, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So Jesus says, don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem, hang out. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, then you can go. Then you can be my missionaries. You can be my servants. The Holy Spirit gives power, and Jesus was telling them, don't go try to do the mission without the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a pretty good reminder for us too, that we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves. We, don't, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God is the one who has the power to save people. We can't save people. We can serve them, we can love them, we can tell them about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one who does a work in a person's heart. It works an extension of those first disciples. Their mission is our mission. And we have the same Holy Spirit to carry it out. See, God is a missionary God, and the Holy Spirit gives us our identities as missionaries. But when we fail to see that, when we fail to understand that identity, mission becomes duty. Anybody ever been there before? Like, oh, you should do this, and you should do that. That's not good news. That's law. I can remember sitting in a church service, I was in my early 20s, and the pastor was talking about evangelism. He was trying to get everybody pumped up and fired up to go out and, and be a part of this evangelism program. And so he used the story, he said, if you were driving your car down the road, down the highway, and there was a bridge, and the bridge was out, and there was a big you know, cliff and people were going to drive off and die, wouldn't you stop every car and tell them that they're about to drive off the cliff and die? I remember just sitting there thinking, well, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't want people to die. I don't, you know. And that was our motivation. And so we went out and we went door to door and we track bombed people and we, you know, we did whatever we could to tell them about Jesus. And now, understanding what I understand about identity and missionary identity, I look back on that and I realize that the motivation wasn't out of love for those people or even just understanding who God's made me to be. The motivation was really out of guilt. It was like, hey, if you want to be a good person, a good Christian, then you need to go out and tell people about Jesus. It's not the best motivator. That's guilt. And I want to be motivated out of understanding who I am. Do I still tell people about Jesus? Absolutely. But it's, it's a shift in the heart to say, I get to do this. I don't have to do it. I can't earn anything from God. But he's created me. To live on mission, to be a partner in what the Holy Spirit is already doing. So I don't have to go out and like muster something up and make it happen. I can just live into the reality that God's already at work. He's working all over our city. I don't know if you guys realize that. All over. I just heard a friend of mine gave his life to Christ this week. And man, I did very little. Like the Holy Spirit is the one, and I hope we hear that. Like he is the one who has the power to save. So it's not all on us. The pressure is off. But man, it's an adventure when we partner with him in his mission. So I don't know if you've thought of yourself as a missionary. I think most of us, when we think of the word missionary, what do you picture? Some super spiritual person who like sells everything and moves over to China or, you know, across the ocean, and yet we're all Missionaries. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim to follow Jesus, you're a missionary. It's just who you are. It's part of your identity. But I think most of us have this mindset that, you know, we have to leave everything and go a long ways away. And the reality is that we get to be missionaries right where we live, work and play. Like in our neighborhoods, at our workplace, within our circle of friends and, you know, within our hobbies, we get to share Jesus. We get to be intentional missionaries wherever we're at. And so living out our missionary identity can happen in the everyday stuff of life. The name of this series has been Good News, and we've talked a lot about how the gospel isn't just for our afterlife. It's not just for what happens after we die. Does it affect that? Absolutely, right? Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus covers that, but it also informs and works its way out in Everyday life, like what's happening today shapes my identity, tells me who I am, tells me who God is. And so when we forget who God is and who he's created us to be, we get into all sorts of trouble. We get into believing lies. We believe believe things that are wrong about ourselves. We base our identity on external factors that, you know, might be part of our story, but they're not the core of who we are. But the gospel brings restoration in our lives by telling us who we are in light of who God is and what he's done for us. So again, we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It gives us a family identity, gives us a servant identity, and gives us a missionary identity. So let's just stop believing the voices that are lying to us and telling us that we need to find our significance and worth in all those other things And come back to what God says about us. What does the word of God tell us? And he tells us that we are his. We can't add to it. It's not an earned identity, it's a given identity. And I hope that as we believe that and live into it and speak that to one another, that the gospel becomes more and more good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to just look at your word and to be challenged in our thinking about who we are. Lord, it's so easy for us to want to earn your love, to want to prove ourselves. And God, you tell us from your word that we're adopted. We're adopted as sons and daughters, and we have a close relationship with you. We have a family that we get to live with, and we get to serve with, and we get to to share the gospel. We get to live in light of this new reality because of our baptism. We're immersed in it. And so, Lord, thank you for this reality and thank you for all that you're doing to teach us to be fluent in the gospel. And so, Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you continue to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.